Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg ad-free and right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. When it comes to picking the perfect treats for your dog, Stuart makes the choice easy by keeping it real. Real ingredients, real nutrients, real benefits. Stuart dog treats are free from additives, corn, soy, wheat, and grains. Plus, they're freeze-dried to lock in all the great nutrition and natural flavor your furry friend deserves. Stewart freeze-dried dog treats. Big, tail-wagging nutritional benefits. Available on Amazon.com today. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. More countries are locking down, including the United Kingdom. The U.S. has its highest recorded cases of COVID-19. And at the same time, the Centers for Disease Control lifted the no-sail order on cruise lines operating in U.S. waters. I'll talk with Arnie Weissman, Editor-in-Chief of Travel Weekly, on what the cruise lines need to do to be able to sail again, and when that might be. And then, we'll cross the pond and speak to Simon Calder from The Independent in London on the mass impact of the lockdown in the United Kingdom. And last but not least, I'll check in with Dan Reed from Forbes on the growing mountain of consumer mistrust with the airlines at a time when the airline's financial situation continues to be precarious. First up, my conversation with Arnie Weissman. One of our regulars on the show, as well as on our PBS show, The Travel Detective, he's the travel editor. He's not the travel editor. He's the big cheese, the editor of Travel Weekly, our good friend, Arnie Weissman. Hey, Arnie. Hey, Peter. How are you? I am good. You know, this has been a, a, such a weird year uh, and so much news happening just in the last two weeks, regardless of the election. October 31st was the day that uh, the Centers for Disease Control lifted the quote-unquote no-sale ban or the no-sale order on cruise ships in the United States, uh, which did not mean, of course, that they were sailing the next day, nor will they be sailing tomorrow right away. Uh, what's your take on it? Because... This is such a big, hotly contested issue. In fact, the CDC actually wanted to extend the no-sale order through next February, and they were overruled uh, by the Trump administration that said, lift it now. And so they did, but with strings attached, correct? Correct. So what they are operating under right now is what's called a conditional sale order. So they lifted the no-sale order, but uh, our reporters actually found a footnote on page 24 of this 50-some page document, and it said that after the cruise lines present their plans, they must wait 60 days before they can actually take passengers on a cruise. So if you do the math, you're looking probably, it was sometime in February. Uh, Some people are saying, some of the analysts are saying mid-February. So essentially, when when it was lifted, the cruise lines, as one analyst put it, just, got, the, got the headlines they wanted, and Redfield 
got the uh, the timeline that he wanted. So uh, it's really pushed back to February as they had wanted initially, but the no-sale order itself has been lifted. Yeah, in fact, uh, not surprisingly, a lot of cruise lines, like Royal Caribbean and Norwegian, officially suspended all their cruises through the end of the year anyway, because I think they they found that paragraph. Yes, I think they did. And it doesn't mean that cruise ships will be inactive. And in fact, uh, one of the requirements of the conditional sale order is that they do test sailings to show that the protocols they have in place to prevent an outbreak on a ship actually work. So these will be, uh, the crew will be on it. Uh, They may take some uh, volunteer travel agents, for instance, uh, on the ship. We are hoping maybe they'll take a travel weekly reporter with them on the ship for these test cruises. So once all that's done, and they still have to, you know, bring the crews in from the Philippines, from uh, Bali, from the various places, Eastern Europe, where uh, the crew is originally recruited from, and they're back at home now for the most part. So they've got to be trained in the new protocols. So uh, I wouldn't book my cruise for uh, January just yet. I think you're right. And then there's some other issues. Uh, last year, of course, meaning this year, the year, but we're, I'm seeing last year because I just want this year to go away. But <laughs> for year 2020, there was no there, there there was no Alaska cruise season because Canada closed their ports. Those ports, by the way, are still closed. Canada is keeping them closed, as far as we know, through the end of February which for planning purposes for Alaska cruise season doesn't give the cruise lines that much movement and room to, to, to schedule stuff. But if you're thinking about going to Alaska this summer uh, and the normal Alaska cruise season goes between May and September, my guess is you might want to you know, hedge your bets and, and book one for August just in case. That's number one. And then there's something else which has now started to happen in Europe. It happened in Florida last week that you reported on. And it's, it may happen again in Canada. And that is the idea that the ships are going to cruise doesn't necessarily mean that the ports are going to uh, just let as many ships in as they used to. Uh, in Croatia, the mayor uh, ruled that only two ships on any given day can be in the port. There used to be up to seven. And something just happened in Key West, right? Yeah, uh, Key West, during on the, the same day of the presidential election, there was a referendum uh, on the ballot in Key West, and it had three parts, and all three parts passed. So uh, now this, by the way, Key West has taken on even greater importance since uh, Cuba was shut down. Uh, it's become much more popular. Over 900,000 passengers got off in Key West last year. Uh, this represents, by the way, $85 million in spend, 15% of Key West tax base, and still they voted that only ships of uh, 1,300 passengers or less, and uh, including crew, by the way, not just passengers, 1,300 human beings or less, and with a cap of 1,500 per day. So unless they're very small, you're looking at one relatively small ship per day, and um this is going to be, and, and the third part, which was interesting, was that priority for the birthing be given to ships with good environmental and CDC sanitary inspection uh, results. So they're, you know, they're taking 
back the uh, their, their streets and sidewalks, but at some cost. Wow. And you know what? We're gonna, we're gonna, we may see that in Canada, uh, and we may see that in Alaska. Uh, I've been up in some ports on the Inside Passage, uh, like in, in Juneau, uh, where we've seen you know five and six ships in, in the harbor at the same time. It so taxes the infrastructure. Uh, we've seen it here in the Caribbean. Uh, it, it is not a surprise to see that. Uh, so they may take the, uh, either the Croatia model or the Key West model, and uh, so while you have a, an Alaskan cruise season, my guess, Arnie, is that, first of all, under the terms of the CDC, no cruise ship is going is to sail at full capacity. Uh, they'll phase it in. They'll maybe start at 25 or 30 percent capacity. And the, the ports may not let any more than one or two in at a time, which, by the way, from a passenger experience point of view, not a financial sustainability point of view, but from a passenger experience point of view, you couldn't be in a better position. You're not going to be crowded. You're not going to be, you know, standing in any long lines. You can breathe. You can you can explore a city without rubbing, you know, rubbing shoulders with anybody else. Uh, it might actually be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there. What the, we're looking at is a very different shore excursion experience in in the short term. When I say short term, maybe over the next six months, because one of the the protocols that all the cruise ships who are sailing, even the ones who are sailing in Europe, and all the ones who are going to be sailing out of U.S. ports, they're going to first be going, um, they have to go on a cruise line shore excursion, an official shore excursion. They aren't going to be just let out to wander around on their own. And uh, that's to keep, they, they will have presumably created a bubble of sorts where the vans that take them in have been sanitized. The everyone has been tested who they'll meet. The restaurants that they go to, all of this will have been uh, very, very closely inspected. Because the last thing they want to do when they get to a port is bring the virus onto the ship. So there's there's no way to make that risk free. I mean, uh, the cruise lines have taken great, going to great lengths to make sure that if a case does come on positive on the ship, that person is isolated, they have contact tracing uh, protocols in place, but the whole shore excursion experience is going to be different, and the initial sailings are going to be going to their private islands. So there won't even be any chance uh, of, of wandering uh, on your own. Uh, the types of places that you're going to go will have been pre-qualified. And the cruise lines are pushing this, saying that it's going to be safer to be on a cruise ship in a in a pod, so to speak, than it would be if you went to a city on your own. We're sort of dealing with uh, exhaustion, if you will, from so many so many different things. Whether it's the the pandemic itself, whether it's being a barricaded suspect in a quarantine, and now whether it's just you know trying to survive the results of the 2020 presidential election. I'm assuming uh, there are you know, opportunities. There are options. I'm look. I'm coming to you right now from Punta Cana in the Dominican Republic. I got out. Where else can you go? Several several places uh, are open, and more are opening. Some have strings attached. We'll get into that in just a moment. But uh, Mexico has been open this entire time. We've actually had several of our reporters and correspondents going down and reporting, and uh, the hotels, for instance, in Cancun have been very, very good uh, with their protocols. 
Uh, not all the guests are quite as good as uh, the, the staff is, but uh, they have felt comfortable there. They felt that they could get away, and the reduced capacity has been uh, very positive. There have been some the, uh, states, particularly Jalisco, where Puerto Vallarta is, uh, that has just now uh, instituted restrictions. Uh, it probably is not the best time to go there right now. But you're, if you, there's other cases that are really very interesting. So, uh, Dominican Republic, Peter, did you have to get a show that you had a test result when you entered? I did not. Um, exactly. And I did uh, not have to do that in Turkey, but I did have to do that in Croatia. So everybody's got a different rule. Right. And uh, so, interestingly, Costa Rica, which had been one of the first ones to close its borders uh, to the United States and then very slowly opened them first to the northeast, and then it was almost state by state. Aruba had a similar uh, sort of list going. Costa Rica, just in, just as things are surging, strangely, has opened, lifted all restrictions. And uh, so you can go, um, and uh, they've, they've, I'm not sure where they have, whether they have a testing requirement. I don't believe that I read that they did. But uh, you can also go uh, South America, uh, Colombia is is open to Americans. Ecuador, and this would be I, if I had uh, just anywhere I could go that's open right now, I'd head to the Galapagos Islands, which even though Ecuador had been hit very hard early on, the Galapagos have been, remained uh, virtually virus free, and now there is very strict uh, protections put on for Ecuador. You need a test before you go. Uh, you must wear a mask. The fine for not you have to wear a mask even if you're in a car by yourself, or you could get a seventy dollar fine, which in Ecuador is quite uh, quite high. So there there are still many places you can go, but you do have to check on the testing. For instance, uh, the British Virgin Islands opened up with a whole series of requirements in terms of testing. So you have to have a test before you come. You have to spend $150 to buy uh, a mandatory tracing app. You have to get, uh, you have to quarantine for four days when you get there. You have to have a second PCR test when you come out. If you had a family of four going down for, uh, let's say, eight days, you're going to spend $2,400 just on tests at that point. Anguilla requires $1,000 before you can even set foot in uh, the in the country because they want to make sure they're covered for any cost that might happen should you need to go down there. So, yes, there are places that you can go, but absolutely look into what other costs associated with testing might be involved. I'll add one more thing to you mentioned about Costa Rica. Uh, They will let you, when you make your reservation, at a cost of just $10 a day, they're going to provide insurance for you that for once actually covers you for COVID-19, not just for your treatment in Costa Rica, but to fly you back home to the doctor and medical facility of your choice to be treated back there in the United States, and they'll, and they'll pay for that. And the premium is just $10 a day, which I happen to think is reasonable and, and a good idea. No, I didn't know that. that. That is great. And Jamaica has similar um, insurance. I believe they give you insurance when you come. Some of the chains like Sandals and Beaches also have similar kind of guarantees that, that, that you can be covered in um, an event of getting sick once you get down there. 
So there's there's this real mix of ones that are making it very easy and without much financial burden, and other ones which are not, which which have quite a few. And then you have the airlines, which are actually giving you tests before you fly down. Um, American uh, will, if you're going to the Bahamas, I believe, uh, will have testing at the airport for you. United, if you're going to Hawaii, will have testing for you. And this is so that you don't have to be quarantined when you arrive. Thinking of traveling to England? Well, keep dreaming at least for 2020. The UK has just shut down again for at least a month. So what does the lockdown mean to you in the long run? I'll talk with Simon Calder from The Independent in London. Joining us now, one of our regulars on the show, from The Independent in London, our good pal Simon Calder. How are you, sir? Peter, I am very, very envious of exactly where you are right now because it's pretty much exactly where I would want to be right now rather than on um, several days into the English lockdown, which basically means no travel. And basically not a lot of travel even within the country, right? The bars are shut down, the restaurants are shut down. Uh, oh, sure. You, and it's a one-month-long lockdown. Yeah, yeah. you wouldn't come here for a vacation at the moment. Um, you, you would actually, Peter, you'd be very, very welcome. You'd have to come and uh, stay at my home for two weeks and not go out uh, because uh, you'd be traveling from a country with, with uh, uh, from where we do require quarantine. But yeah, it's the same sort of picture right across Europe. Um, I was in Berlin uh, just um, at the very end of uh, October, start of November, for the uh, opening of the very delayed Brandenburg Airport. And basically the day after I left... Not just very, uh, not just very delayed. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Not very delayed. Interminably <laughs> delayed. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, uh, 11... So forgive me. It was due to open in 2011. So nine years late. And various jokes going around, such as it would have been actually quicker to knock Berlin down and um, re-establish the city next to an airport that actually works. Um, uh, it's it's a lovely, lovely airport, but uh, no excuse for the uh, utter shambles that um, seems very, very un-German. Um, but there, um, Greece is just going in to its own lockdown. And maybe, maybe it's a case that um, actually when you look at the travel industry, I reckon November is always the lowest of seasons. Sure, in the U.S., there's a fair bit of moving around normally to do with uh, Thanksgiving, but otherwise it's very, very quiet. And it may actually be a kind of cunning plan by travel companies. Meanwhile, um, there's huge fury from uh, travellers who've had their trips cancelled around Europe and, of course, from the airlines who say, we simply cannot believe that... uh, uh, you know, we keep think we're get, going to get started, but it's one step forward and two steps back. Um, an awful situation for them and, of course, for hundreds of thousands of their very good uh, employees. And, of course, for people who try to plan ahead, whether it's, you know, two months away or maybe a year away, that's taken all of that off the table because no one knows where this is going to go and how far it's going to go. It's not the first time there's been a lockdown. Certainly not one, not the first time in France or in Germany. I'm expecting Italy to go at any minute, uh, uh, Portugal as well. And then you see the ripple effect, or maybe it's not even a ripple effect anymore, Simon. Maybe it's just a tidal wave effect of, of, on the travel industry. For example, uh, just this week, uh, British Airways announced they're pulling out of Gatwick entirely. They're shutting down. They're laying off more workers. I mean, the, the idea that, I mean, I used to fly British Airways into Gatwick all the time. 
because I didn't yep. always want to go to Heathrow. And now that option's off the table. Look how many flights are no longer flying. Uh, and basically, oh, sure. look how many airports are no longer even being served. It's a, an extraordinary thing for, for the national flag carrier in the UK to be doing this, but it just shows what a terrible year it has been. And how now, I mean, they're losing, uh, they're part of the IAG consortium, which also includes Aer Lingus of Ireland and Iberia of Spain. And they're losing roughly $25 uh, million a day. Um, and if you're going to be flying empty planes, which you basically are, because all uh, vacation travel to and from England has stopped. Um, so that uh, gets rid of quite a lot of your market. Um, just in the past couple of days, Germany and Sweden have been put on the UK's no-go list, which means that quarantine is obligatory. So even the handful of business travellers who might have been uh, uh, heading to Frankfurt have been um, uh, have, have put off the, those plans. And that's why Frankfurt is one of dozens of routes that British Airways has cancelled, long haul, short haul. They're basically just saying, we, it's, it's just not worth it. This is just going to, you know, the, the rest of the year has been bad enough. And if we carry on flying empty aircraft, that's going to hurt us even more. So gloom and despondency, Peter. Um, and in terms of forward bookings, you're quite right. I mean, I, I, when I went out to Berlin, I decided the night before that I was going to be going. Um, of course, you can pick up tickets. It cost me about 80 bucks going over there, um, 70 bucks coming back. Uh, from from London to the German capital, um, you can just almost pay what you like these days. It's a horrible time for anybody who's actually working in the travel industry, trying to make uh, uh, make um, their livelihood. I would assume at this point there may be a silver lining in international long haul train travel. I would think this is the time for the Eurostar. You might think that, but in fact, it's all going in the opposite direction. So Eurostar, as your lovely listeners will know, is the high-speed train which runs from London to uh, Paris, Brussels, and now Amsterdam as well. Um, so a fantastic um, opportunity to avoid flying, to travel in yeah, really quite exciting way through the Channel Tunnel uh, to continental Europe. Um, however, they... Uh, all the countries that they serve are on the effective government's, uh, UK government's no-go list. Um, so they are cutting back and back and back. And even if you make it to uh, continental Europe, lots of um, long-distance services, overnight trains, high-speed expresses, they are all being cut back because they're just moving very large quantities of fresh air around at the moment because largely of all these government restrictions. We've been talking with Simon Calder from The Independent over in the UK and uh, painting a rather bleak picture of uh, travel opportunities either to, from, or within the UK. But Simon, let's try to get beyond that for a second because I just came back, for example, from Croatia, a country that is open to American travelers. Uh, I came back from Turkey, a country that is open to American travelers. There are some pockets in Europe uh, whether it's uh, Macedonia or Serbia, uh, or then, of course, in the Caribbean where I am right now. Uh, the Dominican Republic is open to U.S. travelers uh, with a minimum of restrictions. Uh, this is the week that Costa Rica opens up, that Jamaica opens up, uh, that Panama opens up. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out from your perspective, uh, where do you see this changing right now in the midst of all these other outbreaks? Uh, it's impossible to say, but 
uh, ultimately each destination, of course, whether it is the beautiful um, uh, Balkan republics that you mentioned or Turkey or the Dominican Republic or all those Central American countries that thankfully are opening up, they have had to reach some kind of balance between keeping out coronavirus and of course the US like the UK has uh, relative to the rest of the world pretty high numbers um, so the, there's obviously a kind of motivation to keep you and I out but at the same time of course um, they are very very economically dependent on tourism and where do you draw the line each country has to come up with its own decision um, an awful lot of countries and I'm thinking here particularly in uh, Asia, places like uh, uh, Thailand, Singapore, um, and of course, Australia and New Zealand, very uh, popular de destinations, which are just saying, no, we're not interested, or in the case of Thailand, where we are interested, but you're going to have to jump through some incredible hoops in order to get here. And actually, we only want people from very low infection countries at all. So it's going to be messy for, I would say, uh, certainly another uh, all through the winter and through another summer, because uh, even if you know, by some miracle we get a safe and effective vaccine by the end of the year, uh, it's not going to be instant in, in its um, rescuing of of, uh, of the world from the coronavirus pandemic. And so it's going to be very messy, very disruptive. Um, however, uh, there, you know, we, while you and I have never seen such trauma happening to the travel industry um, we also equally know that um, there is no more resilient industry both in terms of its customers um, and in terms of the providers so yeah it will be weaker it will be poorer we will have narrow horizons and we'll pay, be paying more for our vacations but we will still be traveling well we can't we can't ignore the pent-up demand uh, which is palpable uh, for people who just want to get away uh, within the u.s of course we have, you know, we're not the United States of America. We're the fractured states of America. And mm. we have 50 separate states doing 50 separate things. Uh, some states like each other. A lot of states hate each other now. Uh, and that has nothing to do with the election. That was just the pandemic. Uh, and different rules and quarantines. Uh, and so I would think uh, for people traveling domestically in the U.S., if you, play, if you really want to roll the dice, you can get some unbelievably low airfares simply because... Not everybody's going to go visit Granny this year for Thanksgiving. It's just not going to happen just because of the epidemiology of the situation. Uh, but for long-haul international travel, uh, you know, Simon, you mentioned Asia. You're absolutely right about Thailand. The restrictions they put on for anybody who wants to go there, I mean, forget it. It's just not worth it. And I'm one of those people who loves Thailand. As you know, I, I had a house there for 20 years. I mean, I love it. But there's no, there's no practical way for me to go right now. Uh, in order to put up with all the rules and regulations, which I understand, I don't necessarily want to accept. So where do you see, you know, travel just in Europe? I mean, you have airlines shutting down, you have airlines laying people off, you have airlines that are canceling flights. Uh, even when I told you I was going to Croatia and did, uh, the airline canceled my flights three different times, uh, mm. up until five days and three days and one day before I was going. Uh, and that's just for like a 40-minute a flight between Zagreb and uh, Dubrovnik. So, and they were canceling it because they had nobody on the plane. Yeah, 
and that we're going to see an awful lot more of that. But it's going to restart, um, I think, obviously, first domestically. Um, that's in the case of the United States, obviously, it's such a vast and wonderful country that the, there's many, many options. Um, then regionally uh, and Europe, huge a uh, small continent, but very, very dense in terms of people who want to travel and in terms of um, uh, tourism destinations. So that will start up again. But I've just been looking. Um, it used to be the case that uh, um, around about 800,000 British people a year flew from the UK to Florida, and not just to Florida, but to Orlando, Florida. Um, we were made up an amazing number of, of people. Um, in fact, I was lucky enough to be in, in uh, uh, central Florida just last February. It seems like a year ago now. Sorry, many years ago now. Um, and it's a question of when that's going to start up. I was looking at some deals. Um, we have a, a uh, effectively it's a, a early summer uh, holiday for the schools here. And that uh, if you wanted to fly out to Orlando, with Virgin Atlantic, very good airline, spend a week there and uh, have a, a great trip. It would cost you um, 600 bucks per person, um, including your airfare and uh, accommodation. So there are some great deals around, but loads of things have to happen. If I was coming to the US to see you, well, first of all, I couldn't because um, uh, we still have uh, a presidential <laughs> proclamation in place from March uh, saying that anybody from Europe, no, you're too diseased, you're not coming in here. So I would I, that needs to go first of all. Then there needs to be some kind of effective way of saying, yes, it is okay to travel between Europe and the US without having to self-isolate for two weeks when you, when you um, come home. Um, and then, of course, individual destinations need to say, yeah, we actually want the Brits in or, or the Germans or whoever. And all of that has to fit together. And that actually amounts to one sector which is going to be hurting far more than any others. And that, of course, is cruising. Because you've one of the wonderful things about cruising is you've got uh, crew on board the ships from 100 different countries. You've got uh, guests from 100 different countries. You're visiting 10 different islands or Mediterranean countries in the course of uh, two weeks. All marvellous until coronavirus comes along and then suddenly getting those people in the right position to operate those ships, getting the passengers to, from all those different destinations and then crucially persuading those different destinations that, yes, they do want 3000 people um, turning up on what, um, sadly, in the early stages of the crisis were very clearly um, uh, sources of infection in their own right. So, uh, a nightmare for the cruise industry, and um, it's pretty dark for everybody else. You know, you mentioned the cruise industry, and you're also earlier in, the, in, in our segment mentioned vaccine. Realistically, mm. we're not going to see a vaccine for a year. And when we do get one, or I should say if we do get one, who's going to take it? Nobody trusts it. You know, one third of the public will say they don't trust it. They won't take it. The other third will stand around waiting to see if the first third dies. And then the <laughs> third third will be on a conference call with QAnon. So mm, um, yeah. we, uh, you know, trying to wait on, 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 a, uh, on a vaccine is a little silly. If we get widespread, reliable, fast response testing, that's going to open the door to cruising and the rest of our travel experience as well. My thanks to Simon. And when all else is said and done, travelers still have trust issues with many airlines. Many of those issues predate the pandemic, but have now been compounded by it. Dan Reed from Forbes has the story. 
Joining us now, one of our good friends from Forbes magazine, Dan Reed. Hey, Dan. Hey, Peter. How you doing? I'm surviving the post-election trauma. Uh, but one of the things that you did recently in, in Forbes caught, caught uh, you're laughing, okay. But one of the things uh, that you just did in Forbes not too long ago was something that we've been talking about a lot on the show, and that's, uh, you know, a five-letter word called trust. Uh, whether it's trust in a vaccine, trust in, an insur- in a travel insurance policy, trust in a, in, a, in a frequent flyer program, or as you wrote, trust in airlines. In fact, you called it a mountain of distrust these days. Talk about that. Well, yeah. Uh, actually, I was working off of a, uh, uh, a survey done by a group called Expert Flyer, where they discovered that uh, 1,300 or so of their frequent flyer customers, uh, 62% of them say they don't trust either hotels or airlines to do all that they believe to be necessary to fight the spread of COVID to their, to their guests and to their passengers. 62%. Uh, now, it's pretty obvious that the hotels and the airlines have a very high, de- you know, high degree of motivation to, to clean their, their facilities pretty well because it, it would be an, a company or even an industry killer if there were suddenly outbreaks among passengers or hotel guests. So they're, they're, you know, it's a life or death thing for them financially, uh, but there's still a lot of distrust despite that obvious uh, uh, motivation by the by the merchants, by the, the airlines and hotels. There's still a lot of mistrust that can really do it. And one presumes when they say they want it, they want somebody else to be the referee to enforce the cleaning standards that they're meaning the government should some agency some unit of government authority should step in and make sure all's well before before these travelers will be comfortable traveling again. That's what they say. Uh, well, you know, you know, what people say and what well, they you, do. You know, it's interesting about things, that. What, what, exactly. And in fact, what you bring up is, is, is two separate points. One is, it's one thing to say, okay, we don't necessarily trust the airlines to do what they're supposed to do. And then they want the government to come in. What makes you think I trust the government? Uh, well, you know, what's the situation here with, right, I mean, I look, one of the biggest issues that we have on this show in terms of our listeners and their issues is their inability still to get refunds on airline flights that were canceled by the airlines, not by them. <laughs> and you and yeah. I both know that there's a, there's a rule on the books already at the U.S. Department of Transportation that says if the airline cancels your flight, you're entitled to a full refund back to your original form of payment, even if you bought a non-refundable ticket, and yet the airlines are still not doing what they're supposed to do. And right. then you're left, you're left with, wait a second, but it's the U.S. Department of Transportation rule. So what's the U.S. Department of Transportation doing about it? Here's what they're doing about it. Not much. They sent a letter. Yeah. They sent a letter to the airline saying, we're really concerned about this. Could you try to like not do it? That's not an enforcement yeah. action. That's that's no, that's, that's garbage. Little Johnny to play so, nice. Yes, little Johnny play nice. Well, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, but here's the problem. <laughs> it's not little Johnny. It, it's not little no. Johnny. It's big Johnny. And oh, and yeah, and big. so the real yes. So the real question here is, what's the alternative if you if you have no trust in in or I should say little trust in corporations to practice their mission statements and you have no trust in the airlines to enforce the rules that are already existing, what's your, what is your recourse? 
it, it, that that's the open-ended question for which there really isn't an answer. I mean, you go to the government. Well, well, go to the government. See what good that'll do. It won't do you much good uh, historically. Um, it is it is the ultimate conundrum in the travel world is that you're probably you know smoking homegrown if you uh, think the government's going to make the airlines play play nice, but you're also probably smoking homegrown if you think the airlines are going to play nice. You know where do you go? <laughs> so Dan, if if the trust isn't there, um, and we know this, and the recourse isn't there. Uh, Maybe we go back to the Obama DOT and hope that they'll start doing some rulemaking because we certainly haven't seen legislation from Congress, and Congress seems paralyzed anyway. Yeah, and I think as a result of, of the election this week, are indicate, strongly indicating Congress is going to be able to do virtually nothing. It, we're going to in, in, head into four years of, of uh, gridlock, it looks like. I mean, evenly divided government at the legislative uh, issue. Legislative level, um, so uh, there are not a lot of good options. The best option, I think, and I think the results of the survey that I was working from show, is that the best option for regaining trust would be for there to be a vaccine, not only or multiple vaccines, not only uh, made available, but made available in large quantities and actually used. But we're talking a country of, you know, 335 million people in a world of 7.8 billion people. What percentage of those need to get the, the vaccine, take it, and have it in effect before it's safe to travel? Half? 75%? I don't know. I'm not a scientist or, you know, a... Uh, uh, you know, a, a forecaster on the numbers side, but uh, it's going to take a while. Let's let's assume the very best case that there's a vaccine available December one, and that the government, you know, through the army or whoever the military, distribute it distributes it very well. You know, by by June maybe we get a couple of million people out of three hundred and thirty-five million. Is that enough to create? confidence that we could travel again? I doubt it. Uh, how many uh, billions have to be, uh, you know, given the vaccine, have it in place, in use, before we feel like traveling internationally safely? Three billion? Four billion? It's going to take a long time. Even if we do it very well and very efficiently, and there's big questions of whether or not that, well, that will happen. Well, here's the question I, I have to ask. Forgetting the timeline, uh, there's another timeline that has nothing to do with the vaccine. It has to do with financial sustainability. We haven't seen Congress mm-hmm. give any additional stimulus package, not just to the airlines, but to the hotel industry, to the to the mm-hmm. motor bus, tour bus uh, companies, to travel agents, to everybody who's connected in this supply chain, if you will, that makes travel what it is. Uh, mm-hmm. We're seeing Amtrak, you know, basically warning of huge cuts if they don't get aid. Um, and so all the way down the road here, we're seeing paralysis waiting to see us by the first quarter of next year. Not a very happy New Year's present. It's not. I mean, there there is some dying hopes, but still there, that there might be some sort of congressional action that would send money 
probably only to the airlines, not to the rest of the travel industry uh, world, uh, during the lame duck session. Uh, I wouldn't bet that way, but it's it's theoretically possible. Um, but uh, you know, it could ha- it, it maybe can happen in in January. But by that time, there will be a lot of company, small companies that have gone on business. You know, further further deterioration in the supply chain. Uh, there will be a lot of employees who lost their jobs who will have moved on uh, and are doing other things and don't want to subject themselves to the industry again by coming back. Uh, there, you know, how do you retrain all those people? Decisions are having to be made right now regarding fleet sizes because airlines, this has gone on so long, the airlines can't just continue to stand there and hope it gets better. They're having to make long-term, impactful decisions on things like how many airplanes can we afford to own and not fly? Uh, which airplanes do we need to dump and which airplanes do we need to get more of to, because the market has changed? They're making all those decisions right now. And, um, you know, waiting until January or February to get, uh, you know, 50 million, 50 billion is not a little bit of money, but in their, in this circumstance, it's a relatively small amount of money. Help in January will be little help at all. Help now won't be enough. Yeah. My thanks to Dan, to Simon Calder, and to Arnie Weissman. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for updates on all the breaking travel news, just sign on to petergreenberg.com. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts.